Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this, our fifth episode uh, of this season uh, about mission. And today's topic is one that I I feel that I have some expertise in. It's not excuses to avoid mission. Um, <laughs> this should be a, a fruitful and hopefully challenging discussion. Um, my name's Cameron. G'day, Cam. Um, Ken here. Uh, it reminds me of the uh, Adrian Plass story, uh, Excuses Not to Do Mission, um, where uh, the there was some, I think it was some street preaching that was meant to happen. And uh, so Adrian Plass um, said that, uh, you know, he would know that God was leading him to go to the street preaching um, if a midget dressed in a Japanese admiral's uniform knocked on his door at 9.02 a.m. Uh, that was very clear. Then God would have sent the message yeah, to him. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm Lachlan. Uh, this topic resonates with me today. I, I have only just woken up from a, what can only be called a, a somewhat surprisingly deep slumber for for the moments immediately after dinner. Um, I thought I was around and useful and alert and discovered, no, I was lying in bed sound asleep. <laughs> yeah. So that was a little early in the evening for that. So um, no, it's good to be here. Looking forward to a conversation. I'll, I'll get to sleep soon. Yeah. Um, Jonah is the story that the lesson turns to when it talks to excuses about mission. And I think we might just spend one or two minutes um, just talking about features of the story in general. And then we can look at the various excuses postulated by the lesson and um, in the text itself. Um, and that should be our discussion. I mean, there's a lot you could say about Jonah. But um, what stands out... What sort of character is Jonah? If you were to summarise it in a nutshell, what would you say? Because we don't have time to read the, the whole book. I mean, we do, but then there'd be no discussion. Maybe that would be very fruitful. But um... <laughs> I've always thought of Jonah as being slightly grumpy. I mean, there's there's sort of nowhere in the story where I mean, maybe that's not quite true. Uh, the prayer that he makes from from the belly of the great fish um, is perhaps a little bit further from grumpy. But, you know, verse 3 after hearing the message from God, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction from the Lord. Um, and, you know, the book opens with him being contrary and grumpy and the book closes with him seeming contrary and grumpy. So that's that's how I've always felt. Um, I think that seems to be pretty fair. Um, the, the main message that I've always got from it is the VeggieTales message. Um, and that is God is a God of second chances. Mm. Uh, second chances for Jonah, second chances for Nineveh. Uh, and I have to say, it's something that consciously pops into my mind sometimes uh, when I'm thinking about mm-hmm. what sentence I impose. Look, um, I'd like to talk a bit about that prayer in the belly of the whale because what I think of when I think of Jonah is conceit. Ah, okay. Um, and the prayer in the belly of the whale is notable for a couple of reasons. One of them is it takes him three days before he <laughs> prays. Now, now... Now, I would imagine if I'd just been in a boat that was nearly sinking and then developed, you know, suicidal levels of, and, and you, know, mm. um, you know, despair and been thrown into the water and then been swallowed by a fish, at some point prior to the third day, I might have, I'd like to think that I would have thought of saying a prayer. And when yeah. you look at the prayer, the prayer is quite self-righteous. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Did you, Jonah? Yeah. You didn't. 
you didn't cry out to the Lord. What you said to the sailors was, oh, it's all my fault. Throw me overboard and save yourselves. <laughs> um, uh, I shall look away. I shall look again on your holy temple. Um, you know, I went down to the roots of the mountains. I went to the land whose bars close upon me forever. You brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hopes of steadfast love. Whoa, whoa, just hang on a minute, Jonah. These pagan sailors um, mm. have actually done a pretty good job, They, even though they knew it was your fault and you acknowledged it was your fault. They tried really hard to save you and it was only you know, at the last extremity that they threw you overboard with much reluctance and as soon yeah. as the storm stopped, they worshipped God. What? Why is Jonah so proud to be one of the people that visits God's temple, unlike these pagan people? Um, uh, with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. It doesn't seem that a voice of thanksgiving comes naturally to Jonah from the story. There's something about this prayer that just feels a little bit formulaic, <laughs> possibly less than sincere. Well, exactly, uh, because... Um... Uh, he, here is he, a wonderful thing. It, the answering is coming after this prayer, so it's it's. I, I like your your observation that it feels almost a bit formulaic. He's he's finally after three days realizing this is quite serious. <laughs> and and I would ask you, what is wrong mm. with a formulaic prayer? Well, perhaps perhaps formulaic is um, not what I meant. Uh, insincere. Okay, yeah. an insincere prayer again. What is wrong with an insincere prayer? Um, uh, so let's put it the other way. What is it that makes us think that our spontaneous prayers, uh, uh, our spontaneous and often not very well thought out prayers, somehow have more value, mm. uh, more efficacy um, with God than a prayer that has been written out for a particular situation, carefully thought out for a particular situation, and is read uh, and prayed. Um, why should my spontaneous prayer be any more valuable to God than my uh, uh, prayer that I have um, adopted from somebody else's careful thought? So that's one question. Um, uh, perhaps it's a little rhetorical when you look at it in those terms. Um, and the second is, um, uh, let's go to the sincerity of the prayer. Um, there are a couple of different levels of sincerity. One is sincerity about the particular topic of the prayer. Uh, the other is uh, a sincerity about an interaction with God. Now, as to the topic, we don't even know mm. what we should be praying. Uh, and uh, so I don't think necessary sincerity about the topic and in, in a petitionary prayer, sincerity about the particular outcome uh, is uh, necessary, although it's uh, not a bad thing either, certainly not an impediment. Um, uh, but um, uh, I think that probably uh, a degree of sincerity about an interaction with God is also helpful but I also wonder whether or not God is just happy to receive any prayer. But God is happy to um, receive this one because uh, God, it says, and then, oh, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. So, um, and God waited till he prayed. 
And of course, none of our prayers can be perfectly sincere. C.S. Lewis um, said that the we've done an Adrian Plass reference, so I'm. Uh, I was a bit disappointed, Ken, because that Adrian Plass reference was the reference I was going to begin the podcast with, but you jumped yeah. the gun on me. Ah, yeah. uh, well, yeah. I'm so glad I jumped <laughs> in Lewis, first. C.S. Lewis said that the <laughs> prayer that should precede all other prayers is, um, God, may it, uh, may it truly be to you that this prayer is addressed, and may it be truly I who speaks. Hmm. And I, I get a, fen- a sense that this is not truly Jonah, I, th- I think the true Jonah is revealed in, in Jonah's last speech in chapter 4. Well, I don't know. I, su- I sense it is the true Jonah in one sense, uh, and but in this way. Um, what he's doing is pointing to his Jewishness. Yeah. Um, he's pointing to his righteousness mm. as a Hebrew. Uh, he's claiming his, well, I said righteousness, but he's claiming his rights, yeah. if you like, as a Hebrew. Not necessarily... <laughs> as a sincere doer of well, the will of God. Uh, and yet even that prayer can, works. <laughs> while we're on that subject, can we make a list of all the things which are the the doer of God's will in this story? This is a fairly long list. Mm-hmm. Um, the the sailors. The sailors. The storm, the weather. Yeah. The fish. Uh, the, the fish. The Ninevites, uh, including all their animals. Yeah. Yep, the worm. Uh, Jonah in the air. Well, Jonah in the middle, yeah. because he does go, and he does yeah. say what he's meant to say. Yeah, it's just it's just interesting uh, that Jonah has this sort of pride in himself. He's very much the anti-hero, um, not the hero of the story, um, because everyone in the story does what God says straight away, um, except for except for Jonah. There's also um, Another, you know, there's some interesting parallels in the language which we could get into, but I'm eyeing the clock and I, I want to get on to the question of avoiding mission. Um, but if you have a look at the directions, this is something I learned in um, Daniel Renault's Bible as Literature subject when I was at Avondale. Uh, Jonah went down to Joppa. He paid his fare and went down into the boat. But Jonah had gone down, in, I'm reading excerpts, had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Um, and then he says, pick me up and help me into the sea, then the sea will quiet, because I know it's because of me. And they tried to get onto it. And then, yes, and he was in the belly of the whale. And then it's in the prayer is the next part. It talks about being down. You know, he cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Um, the water closed up me. He went right down to the roots of the mountains. That's how low Jonah's gone. And um, what does God say to Jonah at the start of chapter 3? After Jonah's gone down to the get it in a boat and he's gone down into the boat and then he's gone down to the roots of the mountains um god says to jonah get up hmm. and it's a it's a literary device emphasizing the change in direction um so you know everything has been down 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 and then god says to him jonah get up head to nineveh um so the story is quite cleverly crafted in the way the different um sort of aspects and themes uh, pick into it. So Jonah did get up and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Um, any thoughts, Locke, is it worth talking about the fact that Nineveh took three days to cross? And the parallel to the three days yeah, well, I mean, no, I, was, I was thinking more about, Ken, your story about your son who lived um, uh, within walking distance of the city. 
<laughs> yeah, look, look, that's a wonderful story. Um, uh, my uh, three sons um, lived together in an apartment uh, and uh, they insisted it was within walking distance of the city. Um, so uh, one um, Sabbath afternoon, as I recall it, in fact, it wasn't a Sabbath afternoon. I think it might have even been a Sabbath morning. Uh, they and uh, their friends uh, got together and walked to the city from their apartment. Um, their apartment was in Liverpool. Um, it's about 35 kilometres uh, along city streets and traffic lights, and it took them many hours, uh, but they did. Um, uh, my eldest son had just bought a new pair of sneakers, and there's a um, a, a tragic video of him uh, <laughs> oh, no. hobbling uh, like a an 80-year-old man. Um, uh, the, the story is told that he became rather quiet and perhaps sullen for... Uh, uh, the last few kilometres. But they um, were within walking but, distance. Um, they all proved they were within walking distance of the city, even if many hours of walking was required. This is a problem because you could walk across Sydney in three days and Nineveh is, was not that big. Um, one solution that this has been postulated to me by actually a, a theology student when I was at Avondale was that perhaps Jonah had his wife with him shopping. And that, <laughs> um, well, I don't think I don't know a lot. You can comment on that if you wish, but no, no, I have no wish to comment on that aspect. But I do want to comment simply to say, measuring city size by how long it takes to walk across or around it was something that captivated me when I was younger. Because of course, um, way back earlier in the story of of the Israelites entering the Promised Land. They walk around Jericho and, and Jericho is so much different from Nineveh in this sense, because on a single day, you can walk all the way around it seven times. Mm. <laughs> well, that's that's, of course, um, I mean, we know how big the ancient cities were. Yeah. Um, and they certainly weren't the geographical footprint of Sydney. Um, our listeners can just decide what they think of that. I'm just not going to comment on it anymore because I want to get on to excuses for mission. So let me just run past you with perhaps a few comments from each of you, what you think. Um, I, I'm reading out the um, excuses as postulated by the lesson pamphlet that Jonah may have had for for not going to Nineveh. So one of them was fear because the Ninevites were mean and nasty and scary. Uh, certainly one that I've heard before uh, as as we're turning and looking through the pages of the book of Jonah right now, I I don't see it come up very much. Certainly Jonah, if he is afraid of the Ninevites, he doesn't seem to show much fear. I mean, even even when he stands up in the middle of the storm um, and, and says, throw me into the sea, sure. Surely a timid and fearful person wouldn't, wouldn't be making that proclamation on the deck of a ship in a stormy sea. Mentally unstable, yeah. That makes sense. There's a sense in which Jonah's not very stable, I think. That's yeah. not the same as being fearful. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, what's uh, another one? False views or a false worldview. Um, and so maybe Jonah thought that if he escaped the country of Israel, that Israel's God would no longer have dominion over him. Yeah, I mean that's it's in verse three. It says that that he went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord, um, which is actually different from saying he went in the opposite direction to disobey the instructions of the Lord. He, he's trying to escape. Yeah, yeah. Mm, he's trying to escape from God, not just from the uh, directions of God. Yeah, 
What about this one? Um, one common misunderstanding is that God's desire for us is to focus on our own salvation and to remove ourselves from the wickedness of the world around us. Does Jonah strike you as someone who is focusing on his own salvation? Um, I don't think his salvation was a particular concern to him. Um, indeed, when you read his prayer, it seems he was reasonably yeah, confident. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Salvation. I think it's something he's taking for granted in many ways. Mm. 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 Okay, mm. inconvenience. Is it just the fact that that the task is going to involve many months? I mean, Jonah embarks on you know an international move. Like you've done an international move. I've almost done an international move. Um, you know, that seems to me pretty inconvenient on its own. I mean, he goes off to Tarshish presumably to live. Yeah, he is, certainly in terms of the mere travel, um, one over the other doesn't seem to be more inconvenient yeah well that's a good point uh you don't if that's his if that's his problem with the Nineveh mission then then his solution to that problem is very nonsensical okay let me read this um Jonah had uh, uncomfortable confrontations might be another excuse not to um go to the Ninevites and this is getting closer to I think the actual reason of course Jonah tells us why he didn't want to go so it's not clear to me exactly why we have to speculate because he explains quite clearly. Um, um, our Lord, this is this is the verse that I, I think is the important verse, but then it's developed in an, a slightly off-centred direction, I think, um, in the pamphlet, in the lesson pamphlet. Uh, our Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. And then the lesson provides this commentary. Jonah had such a deep hatred for the people God sent him to that he felt it was better that he die than to lose face when the failure of his doomsday preaching against Nineveh was revealed. Jonah wanted Nineveh to be the next Sodom and Gomorrah. He was hoping for God's judgment on these hated people. When it didn't happen, his worldview was being shaken to the core and Jonah would rather die than allow his worldview to be turned upside down. But that, that's not so at all because his worldview was precisely... That His this was going to happen. Uh, he just didn't no, like it. Exactly. Um. <laughs> Can I suggest a better statement? So I'll just read the one from the lesson again. Um, Jonah would rather die than allow his world to be turned upside down because it's such a confrontation to his worldview. I think you're right, Ken. His worldview, he knows that God is gracious and loving and kind. Hmm. Jonah would rather die than for the Assyrians to be saved. He, he doesn't oh. actually object he doesn't actually object so much to even this idea that Jonah's embarrassed that his prophecy doesn't come true. He could have just left and gone home to Israel. And like, yeah. you know, like he didn't have to hang around. So, and how embarrassing would it be if you never saw them again? Like, it's, I, th I think the real excuse that Jonah has for not going to Nineveh is that he does not want them saved. Mm. 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 I just wonder whether there is a touch of that in much of our moralising, particularly about yeah. sexual matters. Um, I just do not want those people who are different from me to yeah. be saved. Um, uh, that's a, a disturbing and confronting proposition. Um, but I know there are elements of it in me I know there are elements that say, I don't think mm. they deserve it. 
and I will be upset and annoyed if they get it. Yeah, this is this... exactly the the where I wanted to to spend the last you know, let's say ten minutes or so of the discussion because this is the most confronting excuse of all. God save yeah. me from that, but there is yeah, reality I mean, and truth. Is something I've I've pondered before. I've I've posed to to conversation partners before. Uh, the most provocative way I can think about it is imagine imagine getting to heaven after cultivating an attitude of such extreme dislike for some someone, some category of person, that when you arrive in heaven and see that person in heaven, your solution is that you must leave. I mean, I mean, isn't that isn't this that happens? Yeah, this isn't happens that in the great a, divorce? A terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I call it. I feel like it's a confronting challenge because that's isn't that it's 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 the ultimate tragedy, really. Yeah. Well, this is Jonah. So much for Jonah being interested in his own salvation. He basically says, "God, I've had enough." Yeah. If you could unmake me, that would be lovely. Um, I am angry enough. Yeah. <laughs> to die. And and the, he is very clear about why he's angry. He's angry because God has shown grace to. The Ninevites, and and when um, you look at the context of the story, and you look at how the pagan and the animal elements and the inanimate elements, like the weather, have obeyed God so effectively, and everyone except for Jonah has, and God's been so gracious to Jonah again and again and again. You know, you have to look at it and you say, how how can Jonah not see it? But then this is, of course, when Jesus said, "You honestly search the scriptures." Um. But they're the scriptures that point towards me. He was talking to Pharisees who were being outraged because Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. He was um, talking to people who were outraged because he said to them, oh, you're so proud of being children of Abraham, are you? Well, God could make children of Abraham out of these rocks. That's no special thing. He was talking to people who were outraged because um, Jesus had the nerve to tell them that the citizens of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah were going to stand up in judgment on the Israelites. Or, you know, yeah. Um, and um, that the Tyre and Sidon would have, you know, the, the pagan surrounding nations would have accepted him. But he, he, this is, they were upset with him for praising the faith of a centurion. When, when, you, when you look at this pattern, you know, when Jesus said, you search the scriptures, but they're the ones that talk about me. He was not talking about cherry-picked, isolated verses. He was talking about things like the entire story of Jonah, which... Indeed, yes, didn't he reference it? Yeah. As yeah. applicable to himself. So so here is the topic, and Ken, I think you're right, the most effective, the most debilitating um, excuse to hold in your own mind, the, the excuse you could hold in your mind which is most effective in stopping you from embarking on God's mission is simply that you do not want other people to be saved. Mm. Um, and, and of course, what, what Jonah had to contend with is that God saved these people. They didn't need to become circumcised. They didn't need to set up a temple to him. All of these things that he'd been cherishing as part of his Jewishness, which was God's law imparted to his people. And, you know, all these, these, these Assyrians didn't do any of it. They just wore sackcloth and ashes and said, God, please forgive us. And God did. It, it's it's rather it it involves some deep mining into our psyche, our religious psyche, and our 
motivations and the depths of our heart, really. Because, of course, we will always say, oh, no, we want everybody to be saved and anybody can be saved. Um, uh, and except that what we then do is say, well, of course, we want everybody to be saved and we want anybody to be saved so, so long as. Yes. yes. So long as they're one of the um, small percentage of the population that's willing to turn up to a um, cooking demonstration or a revelation seminar, um, so long as they're someone who's willing to come to a church event, they're someone who's willing to, by and large, enculturate, uh, adopt our culture. So one of the things I often think about is one reason we don't um, evangelise is because if we just let people in off the street as they were, they would bring their fashion with them and their choice of music with them. And if they became voting church members without having first been made safe through a mm. process of careful, you know, assimilation, um, if we just let them in raw, you know, that, they'll do things. They'll drink coffee in the church foyer or something um, and uh, or want meat sausages at a church potluck or, you know, and, and those sort of edges of our belief, which is not willing to have the conversation or to compromise. And so we want everyone to be saved provided that they are comfortable with us. Hmm. But we, we don't want to have to go to the effort of trying to be comfortable with them. I, I would like to go one step further because we're discussing this in the context of mission and of excuses to avoid mission. Um, and what, we, you know, what you're saying is very clear and I think very valuable. But I'm connecting it to something that I, that I heard just earlier this week in a podcast I was listening to about um, exploring the deep issues of gun violence in the US and really culminated with the with the podcast presenter um, referring to a, a, some Christian religious commentary and applying it to the attitudes in society. The comment was simply this, uh, and and I'm I'm I can't find the exact quote, but this I'm about to read something which gets it pretty much right. Um, basically, sin is not if you listen to the Gospels, when Jesus is interacting with people, sin itself is not when struggling people try but fail. Sin is when people who think they've got it together don't even try. And um, the, the quote that I have here is, um, sin is the failure to bother to love. We sin not from weakness, but from strength or capacity. And finally, we often do not realize that we have sinned. And the, the powerful phrase there is, is sin is the failure to bother to love. It's not, it's not that we're trying to love and failing. It's just that we're happy in our own zone. We're self-obsessed, self-consumed, absorbed with us as the most important being in the universe. And we can't even exercise any effort to consider another. And, and I, I find... I find what we're discussing here because this is the this is the sense. I'm putting some words um, here in into this discussion of Jonah, but my my point the point that I'm trying to make is simply that I think what we're discussing here is deeper simply than how we participate in mission. Um, it goes right to the very heart of what salvation might even mean, 
Because are we someone who is saved from the ensnarements of sin if we are someone who is stuck in the failure to bother to love another? Hmm. Look, that's a very good question. And um, I think we might leave it there. Um, hmm. oh, it's a challenging question. Uh, one that I think I need to take to some quiet time with God. Yeah. Um, you know, are we happy? Are we really glad? And this is the next, uh, I guess, a parallel question is, yeah, back to your question. So one is, are we personally willing to care? And the second one is, are, are we upset that God cares? Yeah. Um, you know, are we, are we, we knew God is a God of second chances. Um, and yeah. I think there is some comfort in the fact that that there is a distinction between those two things. Jonah is presented here as a character who not only doesn't want to see Nineveh saved, but he's angry that God would like it to be saved. Um, yeah. I would imagine that it's that probably many followers of God in the way of Jesus can at least admit that they are happy that God wants to save. Um, even while they're still struggling with the internal challenges of, of working out whether they want um, the other to be saved. I have a prayer for us to close. Um, unfortunately, it's not a well thought out <laughs> one in advance. But let's, let's see where we go. Our God, our God, you are a God of second chances. Give me another chance to take joy in the salvation that you want to distribute liberally. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, we'll finish there. Um, Luke is not with us at the moment, is he? Lock. I mean, he's not with us on the podcast, but he's in Hong Kong at the moment. So um, I don't think he'll be with us on the next recording either. Uh, my life's pretty mad. I'm sure the lives of our listeners are pretty crazy. And we're, we're entering the silly season as everything ramps up. Um, towards the end of the year um, but it's wonderful uh, meeting to do the recording and we hope that our listeners you know get some value out of it also uh, feel free to share the podcast um, if you wish and uh, you can email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com if you have any any comments or questions and please join us again next week